0: Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start to shake. Can I answer your personal question? Now it is in time. What if I did the eye? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal endoskeleton This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS. As in Tim Ferriss show, athleticgreens.com slash TFS. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Milia Boone has been called the Michael Jordan of obstacle course racing. Since the sport's inception, she's amassed and she's laughing more than 30 victories and 50 podiums. Her major victories include the Spartan Race World Championship 2003, Spartan Race Series Point Champion 2013 and 2015, and she's the only three-time winner of the world's toughest mutter 2012, 14, and 15. She's also a three-time finisher of the Death Race and dabbles in ultra running in all of her, of her spare time, which I'm sure is massive. Uh, and has a, a flourishing and high-velocity career to boot. Amelia, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I thought we could start with a photo. So I was doing research <laughs> for this and went to your website, which is amelieboonracing.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you describe the, the, the photo that takes up most of the real estate on that page?
1: Well, so the website needs a bit of updating. I'm not um, a great website person, so if you know if anybody <laughs> wants to volunteer, be my guest um, but it's a picture of me um, I'm in the middle of barbed wire and I'm crawling on my hands and knees, and I'm just kind of looking around semi perplexed um, and to me, that just kind of encapsulates everything that I do. I'm bleeding from you know my knees, my elbows, and it's <laughs> just crawling through the mud, having a good time. A
0: microcosm of exactly. the face of obstacle course racing.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's not pretty. <laughs>
0: and we, we met through Scott Keneally, who is putting together, maybe finished by the time uh, people see this and available rise of the suffer fests. So suffer fests, you mentioned the blood, you mentioned the dirt, the barbed wire. Uh, maybe we can explain to people who are unfamiliar what obstacle course racing is with, the example of the world's toughest mutter. Can you (laughs) describe what on earth that is?
1: Well, okay. So that's kind of like the extreme of obstacle course racing. Um, but in general, I mean, I think people have been familiar with Spartan races with tough mutters. Um, you see people jumping over fire and crawling under barbed wire. And, um, it's just, you know, you're running along and you have a wall to climb and you're, you know, jumping through mud and you're using everything that you have. Um, like it's just completely physical experience. Um, but so I got involved back in 2011 um, when I ran a tough mutter with friends and um, then signed up for there was this race that was announced called World's Toughest Mutter. And they're like, you for 24 hours are going to run as many laps of a course, a Tough matter course as you can. And it's going to be in December in New Jersey. Um, and so I was sounds like, balmy. <laughs> it was balmy. I was like, mm, man, I can't think of it. anywhere I'd rather go than, uh, uh New Jersey in December. um, And, uh, so a bunch of us signed, I think a thousand people signed up for this, like, and nobody had any idea what they were getting into, you know, we'd all run like a Tough Mudder or run a Spartan race, um, but nobody had ever really done it for 24 hours. Um, so we went out. Um, that day and people were trying to figure out like, how do you stay warm for 24 hours when you're in and out of water? And, um, you know, and it's December and it's New Jersey. Um, so we decided that we would wear wetsuits or that wetsuits would be the way and to stay warm. And other people, former triathletes were like, Oh, there's no way you can run for 24 hours in a wetsuit. You'll die. You know, like the, how your thermoregulation will be all off or whatever. Um, But we did, and we and like halfway through, so we all go out, um, and it's like 30 degrees outside in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. After the first lap, there are about a thousand people that would start. I'd say maybe 850 people dropped out after the first lap, first lap, like, like done.
0: And this is what, like an hour, like a few hours into it, probably
1: probably an hour and a half. (laughs) And, um, I remember going back in my tent. And like just shivering uncontrollably being like, what am I doing? Like, what, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you like would walk past like the, the med tents and there were just people in there like laying on cots. They were using like saline bags to like warm saline to put under people's arms, like, uh, like armpits to keep them warm. (laughs) And, um, so a few of us decided to keep that. We were going to keep going, um. And I think by, you know, the night descended on us, it was like 2 a.m. We were like walking through the wa- wading through water. And like, there was ice forming. We're like, you know, breaking holes in the ice. And I'm sitting here being like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? But at the same time, I was having so much fun. Um, and, out of a thousand people that started that race 12 finished <laughs> and, <it was laughs> and I was one of two women. Um, and, uh, so that was, that was the start of it all. And I, uh, for some unknown reason, I remember when I finished that race 24 hours later, I was like, never again, never again. And then like two weeks later, I'm like, sign me up. What's what's next. Sign me up. So.
0: And the The drive to do this type of thing, Uh, there's so many different approaches I could take to try to dissect this, but are your parents very surprised, not surprised at all, (laughs) or somewhere in between?
1: Um, I would say somewhere in between because, so I've always been like the high achiever, type A, you know. You know, I I want to be at the top of my class. I want to be, you know, like graduating summa cum laude and going to law school and everything like that. So I think that...
0: I read that one of your (laughs) law school classmates said that you would find a way to be competitive or to win in anything if it were folding laundry or otherwise. Oh
1: yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah. Like if if I was like in law school, the extent of like my exercise was like getting on the elliptical, you know, like everybody else. And I would like find a way to compete next on the person, like on the elliptical next to me. (laughs) Um, and those are the days. Um, but so I think the drive and the determination like that doesn't phase, you know, like my parents are like par for the course. Um, but in terms of like how it manifested itself, because I've always been kind of like a creature of routine and like I don't like surprises and I want to be able to like like plan everything and know everything. And with obstacle course racing, it's so unknown when you go out there. Like for the most part, um, when it first started, like they wouldn't even show you, you wouldn't see a course map. So you wouldn't know what was out there. And so I think that part, they're kind of like, Wow, Or like when I would sign up for the death race and they would be like 72 hours in the woods and you don't know what you're going to be doing, but have at it. And so that was very kind of like atypical personality for me.
0: Uh, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up, um, in Portland, Oregon
0: in Portland. And what did your parents do growing up?
1: Um, so my dad, uh, was an insurance like adjuster and, Mm uh, my mom was, uh, an environmental consultant
0: Where did the competitive edge come from?
1: I've not. See, it's funny. It's like they have no idea. And like I have, I think it's got to be innate, to be totally honest, because my parents were always like, you can get C's, that's fine. Or you can, you can play this sport or you don't have to play this sport. Or as long as you're happy, just do what makes you happy. And so there was, sounds more Portland. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Right. It was never, it was never like, if you think of like sage parents, I was like the opposite of that. Um, so they were always telling me to like, calm down and take a break. But instead I just,
0: that worked well. Yeah, right. (laughs) Do you have siblings?
1: I do. I have an older sister.
0: Older sister. Yeah. Is she also competitively driven like yourself? I
1: mean, we're pretty much like in terms of personalities, like opposites. Polar opposites. Polar opposites. She's extremely successful, but she came out about it from a very like, you know, way more laid back and, you know,
0: like low key approach. What did you want to be when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew
0: up. Oh, and you nailed
1: it. I nailed it. I was one of those people that I was like if I set my mind to something then I'm going to do it. So, I would for lunch every day when I was like at home during the summer, my mom and I would always watch Perry Mason and I was like, "Man, Perry Mason like being an attorney, he gets the bad guy to confess every single episode." <laughs> that's got to be cool.
0: (laughs) Perry Mason's great. I remember Perry Mason.
1: (laughs) So then I went to law school and I realized that's not actually what happens. And yeah, (laughs) you're
0: more, you were more Perry Mason than a Matlock person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: I was a Perry Mason person.
0: So the, so you decide you want to be a lawyer and did that change that waiver or did that stick with you all the way up until the point that you became a lawyer?
1: I think it, it pretty much, you know, I kind of thought of different things in college. I really got, um, I really fell in love with anthropology and, um, primates. And so like, you know, I really love studying, um, yeah, monkeys. And I thought for a part of me, I'm like, maybe I should go to Madagascar and hang out with the lemurs. Um, or I could go get a law degree. Um, so I, I double majored in anthropology and political science and then decided to take the safe route Mm -hmm. and, uh, go with the law degree.
0: And that was you, Washington, Uh,
1: Washington university, Washington university.
0: That's right. And, uh, what did you do athletically in high school or college?
1: So growing up, I was kind of like a, I would say like a jack of all trades athlete and that I played I was always on like a club team, like ASA softball or club soccer, um, you know, traveling basketball, and so I'd play year round. Um, and I was always good. I was on like the competitive, the highest level teams. I was never like a super standout all star in any one single sport. Um, so you know, I played year round, and I would shuttle back and forth from practice to practice um, throughout middle school and then high school. But I started like paring that down, and I actually. As high school progressed, I got more and more into musical theater and show choir and singing and I kind of gave up sports and athletics. So, in college, I actually I sang in an a cappella group, but I no sports.
0: No, no sports in college. No sports. Recreationally, were you a runner?
1: I, I would mean? go out and run to like stay in shape, but running in St. Louis kind of sucked. So, <laughs> I mean, I just like it was either like hot and muggy or like freezing cold. Um so yeah, I didn't really didn't really do anything.
0: Let's. So, so I'm, g- I'm going to jump around a little bit, yeah. like Memento. But uh, if if we were to look at, say, the world's toughest mutter, yeah. What do your routines look like? You said you're a, a creature of habit, as am mm-hmm. I. The hours before the competition. Let's just say, right. like the day of. What are your routines?
1: Um. So I always get up like super early before. Well, I get up super early in general every morning. Um, what's super early. So my alarm t- typically goes off like right around 4am. Um,
0: so. <laughs> you, that's why you didn't flinch when I was, we were talking about Jocko Willink, <laughs> no, the okay. seal commander. I'm like, and he wakes up at four <laughs> yeah. zero response. I'm like, uh Oh, another one. <laughs> Here we are.
1: <laughs> yeah. 4am. Like, um, and, uh, so actually on race days, it's almost like I sleep in a little bit. Um, but
0: <laughs> when, do, when do the races start typically? Um, or-
1: they generally will start. World's Toughest Mudder is a little bit different. That one starts at 2 in the afternoon now. But um, like just a regular obstacle horse race will generally be like 7.30 is the, I is the starting
0: time. So that starts at 2 p.m. So let's use that example. You wake up at right. 4.00.
1: Oh, yeah. Then I drive myself crazy for the next however many hours twiddling my thumbs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what what other type of uh, body prep uh, or mental prep do you do?
1: Yeah, I generally use um, the distraction technique. Mm-hmm. So I try to not think about really – because I can sit there and make myself miserable over and over like like picturing the race or whatever – But I find it helpful, actually. um, I actually do a lot of work in the mornings before races. Um, So I'll catch up on emails. um, I'll do things from, like, my attorney life. Um, And um, then in terms of, like, body prep, I, you know, I do a lot of, like, foam rolling, mobility, things like that. Um, The older I get, the more I realize, like, I can't just, like, jump out of bed in the morning and, like, be spry as a chicken. So.
0: (laughs) You're 32. Is that right? 32. Man. 32. Yeah. 32. I would imagine you still have a couple of good years left in you, but yes, the sometimes the, it feels <laughs> a
1: lot worse though. Let me tell you,
0: the, the mobility work that you do what yeah. what what does that what does that actually look like in in detail?
1: Um, so I generally carry like an arsenal of every single like from a, a golf ball, a lacrosse ball, a softball, a foam roller, Um, and so I'm really focused on loosening up hips, loosening up hamstrings. Um, and every single different little torture device has, you know, it's, the golf ball is for the foot. Mm -hmm. Um, the lacrosse ball works well on the glutes. You know, the softball is great for the hamstrings. Um, so I'm just, you know, getting the muscles kind of warmed up and loosened and prepped. Um, and, um, I do, I actually, from a lot of various nagging injuries that I've always had, I have, like, little physical therapy routines that I always do, too, you know, like to get your glutes activated and,
0: and things like that. What type of movements do you do for glute activation? Oh,
1: uh, There's this fantastic exercise called Jane Fonda's that Jane if anybody's Fonda's. ever been in. Are these
0: in for physical- like glute mean? Or these- oh yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> glute mean where you're sitting there and you're like, man, I should really have leg warmers on right now. So the,
0: you're talking about, is this like the bent leg sort of uh, the reverse thigh master, pretty much. R- yeah. yeah. It's
1: the reverse thigh master on, on your so. side. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and like variation, like doing fire hydrants like that yeah. too, you know, like a dog lifting his legs. There's all super sexy things. That <laughs> people like, like if you, if you do them in a gym, people are like, Oh God, there's that girl. <laughs> well,
0: I tell you, I think that you probably get more attention doing fire hydrants than I do. <laughs> at least unless I'm in a gym in the Castro, which right. it might be a, a similar experience. Uh, and do you use any other modalities for prep? Do you use any stem? Do you use anything like that pre-race or is that um, set aside for other other purposes?
1: Pre-race, not so much. No, that's mm-hmm. more like recovery. Like recovery, all like compression boots and um, stem.
0: Now, are um, compression boots the compression socks or are these actual boots?
1: The boots that inflate, you uh, know, and right. like The air pressure chambers that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like kind of like flush out, supposedly flush out lactic acid. Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: that's, and that's post-race.
1: That would be post-race. Yeah.
0: So, So well, let's talk about post-race then. So in terms of facilitating recovery, so you finish the race. Yeah. And is it true that you have not slept for days on and after races or is that an exaggeration? No,
1: it it is true. So any long race that I've done, like world's toughest matter is a 24 hour race. Um, I've done other races that are, longer 48 that are 60 hours. Um, and I feel like it's, I can't sleep afterwards and you feel like you should be able to. You're like, wow, I was just up for three days straight, um, running around in the woods, but my mind, your body is so physically exhausted, but my mind is still on so much like on overdrive that I just, I can't. So, I mean, for instance, this year, um, after world's toughest matter, we, all, there was a group of us staying at a house. Um, sat around, were drinking beers, watching football game, and I was like, "Man, I should like really be getting drunk right now, or something like that." Because like I'm drinking, I've been running around in a wetsuit all night long. I'm like, I don't feel anything. Like I don't feel any effects of the booze or anything like that. I was like, it just must be this adrenaline still pumping through mm-hmm. me. Um,
0: Did other people have the same a similar experience, or is that unique to you?
1: <sighs> I think. It, no, because everyone else just kind of passed out and went to bed. <laughs> okay. So I was like, hey, guys, let's say, okay, everyone's asleep right now. Cool.
0: And when and when you cross the finish line yeah. uh, as such, you're done, what type of recovery starts? What are the, What are the actions that you take in the hours following the race?
1: So I think one of the most important things that people should do that they don't is you have to stay moving. People want to finish a race and especially a long one. Um, and just like lay on a couch or go to sleep. It is the worst thing you can do because you're going to wake up and like not be able to move anything. So I generally try and stay walking. I try and stay active. Um, you know, I, will hop again on like a foam roll or something like that and try You don't want to be too aggressive afterwards. Like you're not going to like hop on a softball and roll out your glutes because like that's going to hurt really bad. Um, but then just, just try and stay active. And that is in like the next day too. you know, like gentle movement and things like that.
0: Um, do you use, do you, are you a proponent of ice, ice baths, anything like that or not?
1: If I can't, so, I mean, look, I'm not a scientist, whatever. I All I know is what works for me. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. people have different opinions. If I can get into an ice bath, I will, but it needs to be like immediately. So there have been races where there's like a lake right next to me. And I'm like, if it's cold enough, then I'll just go jump in the lake and kind of use that as an ice bath. But if you're waiting like four or five hours, I don't really think it's going to end up helping you in the
0: end. And uh, I want you to correct me if, if I'm wrong. 2012... 2012- Mm-hmm. world's toughest mutter. how did you place
1: uh i won for females but i was second overall in 2012.
0: Second place overall yeah how did that feel
1: so it was a really interesting race um
0: how many competitors
1: this was again there were about 1200 people i believe is is generally every year um So there are about 1200 people. Uh, it was once this one, they moved it to November. So it was supposedly a tiny bit warmer, but actually it wasn't, it was actually colder in 2012 than it was in 2011. Um, and, uh, I guess I didn't realize, I knew I was winning for women. And at this point we were about 24 hours or getting close to the end. And I was, uh, about 80 some odd miles in and, uh, as on the last lap, they're like, okay, well you've won for women, but the guy that's winning is like nine minutes ahead of you. So we're on this last lap, um, you know, going, we'll end up with 90 miles. And there are all these people from Tough Mudder headquarters and like all these matters just like yelling at me, willing me to go on because all they want me to do is to win overall, you know? And you're so tired at that point And like, so kind of delirious that I guess it didn't even realize like the import of that situation, like how massive that would have been. Um, cause I was just like, leave me alone. I hurt. I'm tired. <laughs> I hear <I'm> you <laughs> freezing. Like I'm covered in like 10, like millimeters of neoprene. Like I'm just, you know, and I'm like, I get it. I'm trying to move fast. My body won't let me. Um, but yeah, so I ended up finishing about nine minutes behind the male overall winner. Um, and, uh, Yeah, so it was pretty – it didn't really hit me until like a day or two later where I was like, oh, I was that close. Oh, okay.
0: So did you not – did you feel pride about finishing second overall or were you just – were you more disappointed that you didn't finish first overall?
1: (laughs) No, no, no. I I completely (laughs) felt pride. And it's actually – it's one of these things now that when I race, um, it's almost – I kind of look at the standing. It's cool to win, you know, as a as a female, you know, be like, Oh, I'm, I'm the female winner, but i more look of like, I have a con- consistent goal of trying to place like top 10 overall. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be, I don't care sex, gender. Like I just want to be, I want to, you know, compete to the best, you know, overall. So, mm-hmm.
0: and what, uh, the next female finisher, what place was she,
1: she actually in 2012, she was third.
0: Oh no, kidding!
1: Yeah, wow. So top, yeah, good for her. She, what like, was her? What was her name? Diana Blake. She's amazing. She uh, she's amazing. She's absolutely amazing, and um, you know, she's like forty six year old years old from Australia. Forty six. Yeah, just crushes. What it a beast! There. Yeah.
0: Okay, all my excuses just went out the <laughs> I window, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And
1: she's like the nicest woman in the entire world, too.
0: So, how does her strategy? For training or in the race itself, differ from younger a younger competitor.
1: I would say I think probably I think as you get older, you realize you you don't go out as fast. You know, it's kind of like as you age, you're never gonna like out sprint you know a twenty something year old. Um, but you tend to have more mental strength, and more mental grit, the older you get. Just because you're like, whatever, this isn't a big deal, you know. Like you're more mature and you can deal with um, pain and suffering. Um, So I think that it's just kind of more like a slow and steady, you Uh know. And but just keep going, one foot in front of the other. Um, But to that extent, that's kind of how I operate too. Is that I'm never, I'm notoriously slow out of the gate. Um, You know, in in the beginning of races, I'm always like struggling to catch up with everyone, which is why I like longer races. Um, so then, you know, but it, it's just kind of like, you know, picking them off one by one.
0: When, when you are actually before that. So suffering, mm-hmm. let's talk about suffering. Yeah. Um, uh, I was just reading a letter of Seneca's Who's mm-hmm. that guy. That's, yeah. that's the bust on the kitchen counter over there. Uh, related to I think it's on fasting and celebration something related to that but it talks about exposing yourself to suffering right the, the, it, it, along the lines of the more the more you sweat during peace the less you bleed during war right uh, and so i practice fasting among for for many reasons among those being practicing hardship right so i can okay. endure it in other areas of my life do you do that in other places in your life where you deliberately expose yourself to different types of pain or suffering as a practice, or is it limited to the <laughs> suffer fest? I
1: mean, with the, with the amount that I race, um, there's plenty of suffering involved in, in, uh, in that it's um, sufficient. No. Um, I guess, uh, I can't do the fasting thing. I God, no, I'm not good with that.
0: Um, (laughs) you're burning a lot more calories than I am. (laughs) I'm like,
1: if I don't eat every few hours, like it's, it's trouble for anyone around me. (laughs) Um, but I, I always try to train in less than ideal conditions if I can. Um, because I think that that, uh, adds a lot to. It's super easy to go out for a run when it's seventy degrees, mm-hmm. um, and sunny. But like when I was living in Chicago, which I did for the past six years, um, if there's like a windstorm or a thunderstorm, I'm like, let me out. You know, like let me. Let perfect me, time
0: to run. Perfect time
1: to go run. There was one time that I, um, they had shut down the Lakefront Path because the waves were coming over, and I was like, fuck it, I'm running anyway. Um, and apparently, police don't like that. Um, so as I'm like,
0: I'd love to see, yeah, please tell me the police tried to catch you on foot. Did they? Like, they uh,
1: no. Well, there was, it was a bicycle cop who I was actually oh, surprised right. that he was like out in the weather as well. Um, but, uh, yeah. And he was like, you can, this is shut down. And I'm like, I'm just training. No big deal. No big deal.
0: Yeah. Did that, did that sway his, no, his position? No, 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 no. not at,
1: not at all. <laughs>
0: uh, so training in less than ideal conditions. Mm Uh, when you look back at the races that you've run, the obstacle, uh, Mm -hmm. course races, what has been the most challenging obstacle for you? And what has been the most dangerous?
1: Um, I would say in terms of challenging, I always tend to – so there's always um, – I'm notoriously awful at throwing a spear, um, and uh, it's well-known communities that I can't throw a spear to save my life. Um, and so in Spartan races, there's always a spear throw, and it's actually – it's cost me, like, tons of different races. Um, and it's funny because, like, it's one of those things that – if you practice, you would probably be pretty good at it. But
0: like, why I'm like puzzled right now. Okay, what? continue. Yeah, yeah. About
1: throwing a spear. No, no I'm
0: like summa cum laude. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you know, like ace lawyer,
1: and oh,
0: like world champion <laughs> <laughs> eraser. Okay, so continue, not not to interrupt.
1: And I can't throw a spear now. No,
0: no, huh? no, but it seems like the kind of thing you would sit down and study and master.
1: For, you would think so. I actually think that, um, playing softball my entire life kind of screwed me because I would like try and throw it. Like you throw a softball, which oh, you yeah. can't do
0: under the underhand spear. <laughs> no, 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 just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, want, 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 well, she uh, throws like uh, a girl. No, no, no. But come yeah. on. The, the pitching does is, is yes. completely different, right? It is completely I'm referring different. to the pitching folks. Don't get, Correct. don't get, a, don't get all riled up.
1: <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> um, So that's always been, it's always been a challenge for me and I I finally figured it out, but it's one of those things that like, it's a, it's such a silly thing to struggle with, I think. Um, but (laughs) I guess that also could be the most dangerous because if you miss a spear throw and somebody's around, no, um, I'm joking. Uh, but there are some, in terms of danger for obstacles, Like, there are times where I'm sitting there being like, why hasn't somebody died in these... Oh, I take that back. That's really bad because somebody did die. Um, But... um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But...
0: Dangerous sport.
1: Yeah. um, You know, when you're... When you're racing for 24 hours, especially like really long, and you're like climbing super tall things, like in the middle of the night, I'm always thinking there, being like, man, one misstep and I'm falling backwards. And yeah. I'm, you know, and I've taken some big diggers off of walls just because you're so tired. You just hit big
0: a diggers, meaning
1: big falls, awful falls, you know.
0: How so, how then these are walls that you're climbing over, similar to a military. Obstacle course, correct? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How tall are they?
1: Um, they vary. Um, you know, some are eight feet, some are ten feet, some are twelve feet. Some have ropes to help you up them. You know, others, you know, there's big like kind of like ladders. Um, you know, like military tack ladders. Mm-hmm. You know, that like climbing out, of, um, climbing out of water. So there's one time I think it was in 2012 World's toughest mother. You climbed one of those out of a lake, and it was like 20 feet up, but it was in the middle of the night. And it was like frozen. Um, and so you're like, it's like iced over and you're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Um, but yeah, so there, there's all these little dangers and people, you know, talk about the electricity involved mm-hmm. in, in Tough Mudders, um, which is like a very disconcerting because I've been hit so hard sometimes that I've like blacked out. And, From the electricity. Yeah. And just, Can you
0: describe this, this obstacle to folks?
1: Yeah. So, well so there's a couple variations of it, but, um, basically there's these, uh, wires hanging. The worst variation was called electric eel. And, um, you crawl through water. That's about like two, three inches deep. And there's wires hanging down over your head. Um, and so you're, you're like army crawling through it and your head is hitting these wires and there will occasionally will like shock you, zap you. And it's, I, is it ten thousand volts? I don't. I don't. Or there's the difference between voltage and wattage, and I don't really understand what it is. But one will kill you, and one won't. Um, so this is supposedly the stuff that won't kill you. Um, but if you get hit in just the right way, and you're in water, um, like I got hit so hard, and like I my face smacked down through the water, and hit my head, and then I like blacked out, I started crawling the wrong way, and now it's one of those things that like once you like do like that like something like that happens to you, you just have like this insane fear of it, you mm-hmm. know? And so it's the worst for me now, like trying to prep. So you just have the
0: trepidation that. beforehand. Yeah. The people who get injured or even the fatalities, what are, what are the most common causes?
1: Honestly, I think the vast majority of injuries are things like rolled ankles, broken ankles. You so th- what you things. would expect. What, what you would expect. I mean, I don't think they've never... And the and you know the one the one unfortunate death that I think that we know of that have occurred or deaths that have occurred have been like you know heat stroke dehydration like the things that you would Same find that you like, find at ultramarathon exactly exactly it's not surprisingly for something that is fraught with electricity and spears and you know like climbing up super tall things and crawling barbed wire like nobody's like lost an eye I don't think from a barbed wire.
0: You know, one so. of my buddies got zapped in the eye with one of those electri- uh, one, of, one of those electric lines he was I, not He was not super happy about I mean, that i
1: mean the worst the worst extent of my. Injuries are really like my body is just covered in barbed wire scars, like mm. scratches. You can pro- I can show you them, but you know I look like I was attacked by a tiger.
0: Yeah, yeah I was time. wondering what kind of cat you had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like,
1: like everywhere rope burns. You know, I'm never going to be a leg model because like, it's just
0: fifty shades of tough matter. Oh yeah, God, it's, it's like- covered.
1: Uh,
0: the uh, surgery. I want to talk about your knee surgery. Yeah. Why did you get knee surgery? And uh, let's start with that. What was the what was the reason for the knee surgery?
1: So I, um, last summer, heading into like World Championship season, um, ended up tearing my meniscus. And um, that was in
0: in training. In running, it was or? in
1: training. It was like I was like running in Chicago, and there were like potholes everywhere. And it was like one of those like freak. one of those freak things where you like step in something, and you're like ah ah my leg and um. Then I'm like running it off. I'm like, oh, wait, this actually isn't okay. Um, And uh, so, you know, I went and I had an MRI. I thought I was like, okay, but they're like, my leg like kept locking and I had to like physically unlock it. And so I think with certain meniscus tears that happens. And so um, they just, they had to go in there and, um, you know, shave down the meniscus. And then um, there was some like tibial plateau fracture, and whatever fancy. So I just had to stay off it for a bit. Yeah.
0: When did you so that happened? How much long? How much later did you compete? So,
1: so I raced again eight weeks post surgery, um, and I remember asking my surgeon. This
0: was the world's toughest modern. Correct. Two thousand fourteen. Correct. Which you won.
1: I did. So so I remember asking my surgeon and I was like, so how long till I'm back running? He was like, maybe like four weeks. And I go, so could I feasibly run a race like eight weeks later? He's like, yeah. And I was like, how long of a race? And because he was like thinking like I was going to run a 5 Do a 5K? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, well, it's like 24 hours. (laughs) I was just like. So I, I never got his blessing for it, but I did anyway. So,
0: what did you do uh, between the? What steps did you take yeah. to rehab it? I mean, what were the most important things that you did?
1: I mean, I I think most importantly for me was was getting into. I like got into physical therapy like the next day. Like I had the best physical therapist in Chicago, and she was fantastic. She'd worked with me through other injuries and things like that. So we were pretty aggressive in rehabbing it. And then I just did whatever else I could to work around it to stay in shape. You know, I think when people get injured, they forget that there's so much that they still can do. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a gym that had a ski erg, um, which if you've ever seen is like a rower turned upside mm-hmm. down, and you pull it like you're cross country skiing. Um, so you know, for two weeks, that was the only like really like thing I could do to like keep my heart rate up. Um, so a hand so, bike ski erg, hand bike ski erg. Um, I could row with one leg, but then that kind of like <laughs> throws, then my other leg was yeah. just getting massive. Um, but you know, and I would do, you know, I would, I like rode a 10 K on or skied to 10 K, which is the worst kind of for- torture you can like do to yourself, you uh-huh. know? Um, and just finding other, finding other ways to work around it.
0: Um, what other rehab modalities did you find most helpful personally?
1: Um, did a lot of like stim, um, for to kit. Cause I think when you go in electrical, do, stimulation. electrical stimulation, yeah. Um, so when you go in and you like cut open your knee or whatever, it shuts down your quad. And so the main thing is getting your quad to then come back and function again. And so stim is really helpful in, um, you know, like retraining that, um, to get it to fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, that was helpful. Um, And really, like, I'm a huge fan of, like... ART, Graston, um, so for those. those
0: people not familiar ART active release technique type yes. of myofascial release, Correct. which is super, depending on how you have it done can be super unpleasant if you're having like your psoas work done. Oh my God. Uh, I
1: love that pain though. I think it's like, you, the- you
0: like having some <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, like therapist <laughs> with their like Ridge hand knuckle deep into your psoas. <laughs> I had just as a side note. All right. So I'm going to give a shout out to this guy, Jesse Burdick, Who's a power lifter who trains with a friend of mine, uh, named Mark yeah. Bell. I mean, they do a lot of training separately, but I think he pulls and Jesse, I apologize if I get this wrong, but he, he can deadlift more, more than 700 pounds. Yeah. He's a big unit. Yeah. And we were getting ready to do, he also does manual therapy. So we we're getting ready to do an ART session. And, and yeah. so he puts me on a table and kind of drapes like one leg yeah. off. And he goes, the safe word is brisket. And then <laughs> just. Proceeds to annihilate my hips. So the basic idea folks for, for those of you who don't know the ART and please correct me if, if, if I get yeah. this wrong, but if you have adhesions, let's mm-hmm. just say with scar tissue between adjacent tissues, you apply pressure, manual pressure, a therapist applies pressure between those tissues. Then has you perform motions like an overhead kind of reaching movement for the lats to break apart those adhesions, right. uh, Grastin, which is like having really thick butter knives scraped all over mm-hmm. you. Right. right. Uh, I've read that you use something and I'm embarrassed. I actually don't know what this is. Dry needling. Oh yeah. What is that? Okay, so it's a le- sounds it's, terrible. It's
1: apparently illegal in California, which is why you probably don't know what it is. <laughs> um, it's like acupuncture on crack. Um, mm-hmm. so, and acupuncture is actually rightfully probably hate it. Cause I think they, they think they think it's kind of like a bastardization of what they do. Mm-hmm. But so when you go and you get acupuncture and the goal is like to not feel the needle dry needling, you actually are sticking the needle in the muscle belly to try and get it to twitch. And the twitch is like the release. Hmm. So, um, it's like, and you don't leave the needles in there. So you're basically like poking at a muscle. Just sewing machine. Yeah. And the worst ever don't, ever let anybody dry needle your calf, your gastroc because like if you get in underneath like right and like the hamstring insertion, like you will feel like you got shot in the back of your legs and but it can also be kind of addictive because like you have somebody like poking around your glute meat and you feel this twitch and it's almost like this like release of the muscle.
0: And what does it do for you?
1: Um, it, it is, it's supposed to, you know, for super tight muscles, the idea release is to get stasms. it to release, yeah, Huh. So, yeah.
0: I had had this this nutty experience. uh, And if people want to see photos of me in excruciating pain, getting ART done by Charles Poliquin, you can Mm. see that in the four-hour body. It's kind of hilarious. But I had a separate experience with something called, uh, let's see, I guess it would be called, uh, I want to say neuropuncture, but I might be getting that wrong. Uh, this was done with Dr. Lee Wolfer many years ago with shallow injections of Prolo solutions. So, oh, yeah. and what happened though, and we improvised at this point is she was working on my infraspinatus. So this is a rotator cuff muscle that I all that always gets sore for me. And I had, re- yeah. I had reconstructive shoulder surgery and I probably sit like a, you know, colla- like chest collapsed, uh, you know, Gollum. When I'm typing, right. also, which is no good. But uh, she was working on my infraspinatus, and she was doing the the kind of sewing machine approach with mm-hmm. these these shallow injections. And and we both hear, <coughs> <coughs> and it sounded like someone was scraping ice off a windshield. Oh and it turned out that I had these these just this huge clump of calcium deposits at the back of both shoulders. And so so we ended up just. Well, we, it's the Royal we. she ended up, uh, using the needle basically as a scraper to kind of break down these calcium deposits. And what was fascinating is no shoulder pin for months afterward after chiseling these out. Wasn't the most pleasant thing in the world. Uh, so the dry needling, now that you're here in California, yeah. no more sad, Apparently, sad times, no more gluten meat pokes. I'm going
1: to have to like, yeah, go back to my... Black my market opinion. dry needling. Yeah. You know, well, sometimes, so I'll get acupuncture done and I'm going to be like, can you guys like this? And like, they'll accidentally, a muscle will trigger and release. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm one of those people, I'm like, I'll try anything once in yeah. terms of like recovery or like, you know, I'll just throw the especially because for most professional athletes that they do, you know, they, their job is like to be a professional athlete and then to like rehab and recover and spend all that time. I'm like training early in the mornings. I go and I sit at a desk for 10 hours a day and then I like try and like train again in the evenings. Like it's not an ideal, like I'm not doing my body any favors for Mm -hmm. like with (laughs) what I'm putting it through. (laughs) What, uh,
0: what, what does your nutrition look like? Uh, and <laughs> no, we were, we were. Were you serious earlier when I asked you about breakfast? Yes. All right, well, What was your answer? We were doing a sound check, and I asked her what she had for breakfast. What was your answer? Pop,
1: pop tarts, <laughs>
0: pop tarts.
1: Um, no, that's actually so. Pop tarts has become kind of this like running joke um in the obstacle racing community with me because when i won the spartan race world championships in 2013 i was so far ahead i was like 20 30 minutes ahead of the next woman and the race director yells out at me he goes millie what do you have for breakfast this morning and i'm like pop tarts and i actually did randomly that day because they're a really (laughs) good source of easy easy easily digestible carbs
0: Millie, is, it, what? is that what you said? Or did you say your full name? He sorry, said, I heard you no. said. Sorry, said oh. Amelia. Oh, okay, got
1: it. Sometimes I can't say my own name. Um, and uh, so it kind of became this thing that, like, I would just like pre-race ritual um, that it would be like a good luck thing to like sure. have a pop tart because I'm a soup I'm a really big person into superstition, and um, it's kind of grown from there. And now I see, like, I was at. I was at a race the other weekend and like everyone around me was eating (laughs) Pop-Tarts. And I'm like, what have I started? Like what? And then everyone like (laughs) posts these pictures on Instagram of them eating Pop-Tarts and like they tag me in it. And I'm like, oh my God, I've created a monster.
0: (laughs) Well, this actually could be an incredible opportunity for you to do whatever you want. Because I remember watching Pumping Iron and Arnold Schwarzenegger's talking about the guys who'd come up to him and ask him for advice and he'd give them the wrong advice. Right. And he would like tell them to go into the shower at the gym and like scream while they're posing. <laughs> so you could you could actually right. you could pull an incredible April Fool's joke, but announce it a year later right. after everyone has already embraced it.
1: I know. It's, I, so now I'm like, OK, well, what's the next thing? Like, what's the you know, what everyone?
0: other superstitions do you have? Um, not limited to racing necessarily.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm one of those people that so it's the same. Like. I will wear the same sports bra, like so we race pretty much in like sports bra and like compression shorts because you want as little clothing to like hold down the mud as possible. So I'll wear the same you know if I did well in a race, like I'll wear the same outfit for like the next race, um, mm-hmm. and especially the same headband. Um, and then if I don't do well, then that one gets discarded, you know and so it's it's that kind of like your typical mm-hmm. um, sports stuff. Um, I actually have, this is kind of embarrassing, but a small little stuffed dog that travels with me to all races. And, um, because I'm typically by myself in really cheap, sketchy hotels, Mm -hmm. um, because these races are like in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it's like my little guard dog. (laughs) (laughs) How big is the stuffed dog? Oh, it like fits in the palm of your hand. (laughs) Where did you get that? It was given to me as, as a gift,
0: as a protection, <laughs> as a guard, protect- as, a, gar- as a, a guardian, as a,
1: as a guard dog. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's it's silly, um, it's silly stuff like that. Um,
0: you're yeah. outside of Pop Tarts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what do uh, I actually eat?
0: <laughs> yeah. What is what is your? Let's just say you're four weeks out from a race. Yeah. What is your What is a day of food look like
1: for you? honestly like i it's, it's one of those things i've struggled with that i've I've tried every like I tried to do paleo I tried to be like maybe I can become a fat adapted athlete because for longer races i didn't want to have to like rely on gels gels and, foods right. and stuff like that because after a while it can it can be too much on your stomach, but i just never I'm never going to be the paradigm of good eating of like and and um i couldn't couldn't stick with like you know um the whole like you know trying to i couldn't go far enough into like the fat adaptation like i was just miserable um i like ice cream way too much <laughs> um it's <laughs> somewhat
0: so, contraindicated for ketosis and yeah, fat adaption
1: exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly
0: much, much to my chagrin at, at, at a certain
1: point i think i realized i'm like you know i'm i'm performing well um i'm winning races so why change if it gets to the point where i'm not doing Performing, well yeah. then then i'll take another look at my diet and mm-hmm. and switch it but at this point it's like i run so much i put in so much you know time that i'm like whatever i enjoy food and i'll eat kind of whatever
0: i want what do you consume during a 24 hour
1: race um
0: What is your, and this is actually a question from a fan, which was, how does your gear that you bring with you differ in an obstacle uh, course race versus an ultra marathon, for instance?
1: Yeah. Um, Aside from the wetsuit. Yeah. So I think it really depends. Um, If you're running, as I've learned from like dabbling in ultra marathons, is that um, my body does it especially if you're running hard um my body isn't going to handle solid food as well as like the stomach will like stomach acid and stuff like that so there's a lot of like liquid um like tailwind is a good you know supplement that a lot of people use to like that it's really easy on your stomach Um, tailwind that's a good name yeah yeah um and uh so but i also just find you know like simple i actually really love like um like I like chewing on things like, like cliff makes these blocks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I do, I take in simple sugars that, that, um, like fuel me through that. Um, I'm, how
0: often do you eat during a 24 hour race?
1: Um, I try and fuel every, like I try and fuel every, um, 30 minutes to an hour, get something in, but little bits. Mm um, And then I'm telling you, sometimes though the best things during like a long race are like, oh god, I had a Krispy Kreme donut during World's toughest Motor this past year, and it was like the most phenomenal thing I'd ever had. (laughs) Um, Salty things, um, you know, like you want to make sure that, like you, um, your electrolytes are, especially if you're running in a wetsuit because you're losing. I mean, you
0: must be losing so much. It's such incredible just, amount of fluids.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, um, pickle juice, um, mustard, things like that. But do
0: you carry that with you? There are stations where you grab um, that.
1: There are stations. There are uh, <laughs> just
0: imagining like a camelback half <laughs> full of pickle juice.
1: Well, I actually do. I carry mustard packets with me, um, mustard small packets. packets. So, cause vinegar is, if you ever have issues with cramping, um, you know, they say that like the vinegar, the salt and stuff like that can pickle juice is well known huh. to stop cramps in, huh. in their tracks. Um pickle so, juice. Yeah. yeah. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. I mean it it, it adds pickle juice is harder to carry with you unless yeah. you have like a little vial or something like that. Um but yeah, so um I think that for the longer the race gets you obviously need more gear and especially depending on like the cold and the and the weather and what your conditions are um and so you know sometimes it's it's pretty massive
0: <laughs> the uh you are mentioning electrolytes it's it's fascinating yeah. when you look at sort of the record of health issues in endurance races most people assume that a lot of it would be related to dehydration, but oftentimes it's the complete opposite yeah. where a lot of people, the, many people consume too much water and right. they get, I guess it's, um, I might get Hypo, the uh, hyponatremia yeah. where you dilute sodium <clears throat> to the extent that in some cases your heart stops functioning. Yeah. Right? And, uh, the, I recall I was doing this kettlebell certification years ago. And it was just like thousands and thousands of swings and whatnot outside in Minnesota. And people were getting horrible cramps and they're like, Oh, we're not drinking enough water. We need to drink more water. I'm like, no, that's not the issue. You need some potassium tablets. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, uh, but God, that can just be the worst. If I mean, do people, I would imagine you, there must be a fair number of competitors who just have to drop out because they get Mm-hmm. like quad or, or hamstring cramps or is yeah. that
1: cramps can be like super debilitating um and i think and especially like in really hot races and and also in really cold races and stuff like the extremes um so pe- that you know it happens to, it's the reason why the longer the races to get you know mm-hmm. like the more unknown and things like that go into it and so um It can be, it's always kind of a crapshoot, you know, like you're like, come on body, please cooperate with me this one time. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you can't, you can't predict it. So
0: what, uh, what supplements do you use on a daily basis?
1: Um, caffeine. No, I, (laughs) I like coffee. Uh, so I am actually really, uh, have really kind of bought the hype and the science behind beets. Beets. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I work with a company, um, called Beet Elite, which is it's powdered beet, um, concentrated beet. Um, Mm. and so it's really that like if you, I remember the first time I ever had beet juice, which just tastes like death. Um, like (laughs) dirt. I mean, I, I, some people like beet juice, but I. I can't handle it. But like you feel this weird like head rush almost. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Wow, there might be something to this shit. Um so it's uh so I am really it's something that I actually like drink every like before workouts and stuff like that and you know, delivers the nitric oxide to help the breathing and everything like that. Um so I think for endurance athletes, you don't need I don't need the massive dose of caffeine before I go out, you know, and run because who wants to be jittery while like you know, running for several hours. Um, you need more of like the, the, like the help with the breathing and keeping the heart rate low and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then I also take, um, you know, I try to stay away from like anti-inflammatories like Advil and stuff like that just because, you know, it's, it's hard on the body, but big believer in like turmeric. Yeah. Um, and, uh, other things like that. Um, and then anything to try and help with like bones and joints and, um, um,
0: so you're just taking what, like glucosamine or MSM or what yeah, type of stuff? Yeah,
1: but I, I try and get it in natural. I'm like uh, like bone broth and gelatin and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it's bone broth is an expensive habit until I like yeah. buy the bullet and make my own. But then I have to like handle chicken feet and I'm not really into that. Mm-hmm.
0: So. <laughs> You're in a good place for the, for the, for the bone broth. I'm <laughs> I in the know. Bay area. I was like, what is it? A three stone hearth, I think in Berkeley and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. further down the peninsula, you have some really good sources as well. Right. Fortunately. Yeah. Hippies love bone broth.
1: Oh God. It's like the, it's the new thing. So yeah.
0: <laughs> and for anybody in New York, I'll just give a shout out uh, to a new, I guess it's kind of a side gig started by a chef friend of mine, Marco Canora, who was in the four hour chef. Uh, Brodo, they serve hot bone broth in the winters in New York City. B R O D O. It's amazing. That's, yeah. and you can get turmeric and, or cumin. You oh, get yeah, different yeah. flavored Put things,
1: actually. Yeah. yeah.
0: You get it. You can, you can pay for the add ons. Uh, what does your prehab routine look like? So the exercises, what exercises yeah. do you do to prevent injuries?
1: Yeah. So the main injuries that I've kind of dealt with have always been kind of revolving like hips. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, glutes like most runners, glutes that don't fire. Um, mm-hmm. so like I, we the, ir- about- the irony, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, like Jane Fonda's are the, you know, the, the gold standard. Um, but it is, it's a lot of, um, sti- like kind of like stability work. Um, so I try and do a lot of single leg stuff. Um, mm-hmm.
0: what type and- of single leg stuff?
1: Uh, so single leg squats, you know, you don't, Mm -hmm. you see like crossfitters do like pistols all the way, like ass You don't need to do that kind of stuff. You know, it's just like small, little, like, you know, mini single leg squats. Mm -hmm. Um, I try into like, whenever I'm standing around, I'm trying to like, just stand like on one leg, like balancing and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of like band you know like the the physio band like walks, so like monster walks where you're yeah or the x walks yeah or, the x yeah. walks that's that kind of stuff um, and then a lot of work, especially if as a trail runner, you really want to work like your, i'm gonna is it, what is your transverse abdominus or like the yeah. really deep core, muscles. core corset muscle, yeah yeah yeah, um so a lot of exercises that will like engage that um you know like bird dogs um and uh things like that just they're i mean they're 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 super like not fun and little tiny movements but i think mm-hmm. most people are, would rather go like you know squat 200 pounds and ignore those and that's not going to help you so.
0: so you're working on glute med doing sort of isolateral or single leg movements mm-hmm. do you do step ups any work on boxes
1: i do um i do too i think i think and like lunges um things like that uh Anything that's requiring you to, um, that's requiring, yeah, that like unilateral movement
0: too. Uh-huh. So, And how much time would you say you spend on those types of prehab movements on a yeah. weekly basis?
1: It's probably about 15 to 20 minutes a day.
0: Okay, 15 to 20 a day. And do you do that pre-workout? Is it a separate workout or um, after?
1: It's generally like I'll do a few like activation um, one, you know, like fire hydrants before And then after it's generally afterwards that I'll kind of devote 15, 20 minutes, um, to kind of that, those like small little strengthening baby Mm -hmm. exercises.
0: And how many miles on Mm -hmm. average do you run per week?
1: You know, it's changed a lot. Um, I used to, a few years ago, I actually didn't really put in that much mileage. I was like, uh, you know, running too much is not good for you or whatever I did. I I've switched my training from to be more running intensive because I realized that if you're gonna run for 24 hours, you probably should run. Be, be good at running. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because <laughs> I was just joke. I'm like, I'm not a runner, but then I realized that I actually, I love running on trails and I love long, long runs. And so um, now I'm probably putting in probably about 60, 70 miles a week, which actually is not that much mm-hmm. for a lot of. You see a lot of runners who put in like hundred mile weeks, but
0: 60, 70 miles a week. Yeah, and how much time do you spend doing other types of training, like weight training or otherwise?
1: Yeah. Um, I do. So I used to, I, I, I do, um, I generally will like CrossFit three to four days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, or some kind of bastardized version of my own, um, if I'm not actually going to make it to a CrossFit gym, um, it's so also cause I kind of pick and choose what I like to do from that. <laughs> right. Uh, so I mean, I guess it would be probably, I don't know, five to six other hours of other strength training, mm-hmm. um, like interval training, things like that.
0: I mean, what is your morning routine or routines look like first, first 60 minutes of your day? 60 so you wake up, yeah. Punch the roosters, <laughs> make them crow. Yeah. four a.m. Uh, what happens between? What is your What does your day look like between, say, four and five thirty?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I wish I could give you an answer that's like you know, I go out and I do sun salutations or like breathing exercises or what. Well, the sun's not even out at that yeah. hour, <laughs> um, but it's nothing really. It's nothing really that interesting. I mean, I wake up, um, you know, all generally at that point i'll actually typically answer some work emails that since i go to bed pretty early um what
0: time do you, you go to know, bed
1: probably i try and get in bed by 9 so um sometimes i'll have work emails that will come in like later than that so i'll answer those and then i'm just you know gathering everything up and heading out to if i'm going to the gym that day or if i'm hitting up the trails that day um so, because I'll typically I'll train in the morning and then I'll get ready and go straight into work. What um, time do you get to work? Uh, about seven thirty or so.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so now,
0: have you eaten breakfast at this point or no?
1: Um, I will eat. So generally, so I'll wake up. Pop in the tarts just race days. Um, and this morning, cause it's the only thing in the trunk of my car as I was driving up here. Um, <laughs> I temp popcorn charts in the trunk of my car. Um, but, uh, no, also I'll generally wake up and, um, I actually typically eat a few spoonfuls of like nut butter to fuel before I go out for like, if I'm going to go run, you know, 10, 15 miles, um, it's a good source of you know, fuel to keep me going. For so you'll
0: that. just have like a few tablespoons of almond
1: butter or something like that. Pretty much. Hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, yeah. And I found out that, you know, it sits well and then I'll eat breakfast after I train and then get to the office, things like that.
0: So what does a non-pop truck breakfast
1: look like? <laughs> oh, uh, it generally, um, I'm a big fan of like omelets and eggs and things like that in the morning, um, mainly because I really like ketchup, and I always put ketchup on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just a vehicle for the ketchup. Pretty
1: much. <laughs> you sense a sugar theme going on here. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> Don't take diet advice from a million.
0: I want to uh, just take uh, perhaps a few of these fan questions, yeah. and, and we've hit on a number of them already. But I didn't know uh, I
1: had fans. But yes, is. you did. <laughs> Unless they're all coming from Scott.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have a lot of fans among my fans. Uh, w- so, th- th- this is a question that I'd be interested to hear the answer yeah. to as well. This is from Cindy Paluian. I am probably masquering that. What is what is your self talk during training and during the challenges sound mm-hmm. like? the The moment when you want to quit now. Just to head this off at the pass, the it, the answer may be that you don't feel yeah. like you want to quit, yeah. uh, but during extremely hard races yeah. or challenging times, what does your self-talk yeah. look like? Because I found like many athletes and maybe not you, but have sort of consistent routines in terms right. of their self-talk.
1: So what's interesting, especially with long races, is that you're always going to hit a low part, like and there's always going to be a part where you want to quit. You know, 24 hours at like, and for me, it generally comes early. It's like four hours in, and I'm like, God, I got to do this for 20
0: more. Another 20 hours.
1: Ha. (laughs) Um, you know, the sun's setting and it's getting cold. The wind's picking up. There's a massive sandstorm, whatever. Um, for me, I think. I generally, it's hard because people talk, ask me about self-talk and I generally just shut my brain off and I feel like that that's what keeps, I don't, um, don't really think about anything. Um, but I think when,
0: has that always been the case?
1: I think so. I a- think that and Do
0: you just will that into being,
1: I think I just kind of go, I, I, well, I use different coping techniques. I sing to myself a lot when I'm out there. Um, please
0: uh, tell me you sing out loud.
1: sometimes yes really yeah if i have if i'm not if i have enough breath like you know um so yeah you know there will be like a there will be like a certain song for every race that will just kind of like replay through my head so um 2012 world's toughest mudder was macklemore's thrift shop it was like right before it hit big no like right before it like busted out like and I swear to God, I sing that song over and over again. And I can't listen to it the same way anymore. <laughs> what
0: what other songs? Is, so those like your mantra was Macklemore. Yeah. That was like your meditative mantra.
1: Pretty much what, for 24 hours. For
0: 24 hours. That's dedication. What other songs have you used?
1: Oh god, they range like all over the place. Um sometimes it's um sometimes it's just like all kind of like sing sometimes it'll be like, a, so my favorite hymn ever is I was raised Catholic and whatever. And I love, you know, I've always loved church music. Um, so there's a Christmas song like "Lo, how a rose air blooming. It's like an mm-hmm. old hymn. So not at all. What you would think would be like running through my head, like running a race. But it's, Sometimes it does, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, but then this other race, it was, Kanye it was like Kanye's monster was or like the song was called monster you know so
0: what do, do other racers do that as well that you're aware of or do uh, uh, do uh, do any other top racers have coping uh approaches that you think are interesting
1: you know I think that a lot of people have like that self-talk like I've always tried to and I think this is pretty common is that like a lot of us will try and break up the race into small segments. Cause if you look at the whole picture, it will get overwhelming. If you're like, I have a hundred miles to run and you're like crap, you know, but if you're like, no, I only have three miles or I'm just going to focus on getting through these next 10 minutes. And so I've always found that a lot of people who do long endurance events will break it up into small manageable chunks, you know, and just focus on the next few minutes ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that works pretty well.
0: Do you, I mean, it sounds like you probably have some form of meditation when you run. Uh, and I think that in terms of just mindfulness, I'm sure it's right. uh very present state of where to start with, but do you have a separate meditative practice of any time?
1: I don't, I've tried. I went to this like retreat thing that was fantastic. And I tried to do this meditation session and I just like, 20 minutes in, I was like, I got to move and do something and get out of here. So for me, it's almost like the meditation is like, is, is working really hard. Like, you know, like sprinting or running or lifting heavy weights. Like that's Mm -hmm. like my yoga practice, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh,
0: now I don't know what this refers to, but since Will Hicks is asking, (laughs) are you going to do the 24 hour battle frog in March? Does that mean anything to you? It
1: does. It does. Yes, Uh, it's it's a race. It's another twenty four hour obstacle race. You know, maybe I don't know my my schedule next year is is kind of up in the air. I really, I really want to kind of like venture and challenge like myself in new ways, and so I think I'm going to be doing a lot more like pure trail races too, Mm -hmm. which I haven't really had a chance, especially out being out here in California. Um, You know, it's a much better like I love climbing, running up mountains and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So
0: why did you see. decide to move to California?
1: Um, a variety of reasons. I think the main was, I so I'm from the West coast. I wouldn't get back here. Um, and then it was a time for a transition in a career for me. Um, you know, uh, I'd been at a law firm for six years and it was great and they were fantastic, but kind of wanted to try a new, like, you know, going in house and working, working for a company there and, And then, actually, I'll be honest, totally the training and having mountains and hills around me, it was really hard. I am the happiest when I am out on a mountain running around somewhere, and I couldn't do that in Chicago, Mm -hmm. so... (laughs) <laughs> Was are, it?
0: are you able to disclose the company that you're working for? Yeah.
1: I, I uh, yes. Um, so <laughs> it's this tiny <laughs> little company. You may have heard of it. Um, maybe not. I don't know. I, I work for Apple. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a good company. I have, I have a lot of, a lot of friends at the mothership. just wanted <laughs> to make sure they would allow you to, at least, at least you I work mean, there. it's on
1: like my LinkedIn and Facebook profile. Oh, okay. So, it's so not, that's, it's, not it's, a, it's public. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a very racing specific question. Stephen McKee, how do you keep your body limber after ice or water immersion during a race?
1: Keep moving. Just keep moving. I mean, because yeah. I don't yeah. Otherwise, if you slow down, that's when your body temperature goes down and then you're gonna get hypothermic. So,
0: mm-hmm. so let's let's uh let's go to the third act. Okay. Which is Rapid-fire questions, they don't have to be rapid-fire answers. But the word successful, when you hear the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind and why?
1: God, that's so hard. Because this is going to be your typical lawyer answer where I'm like, well, because successful can have so many different definitions. No, no, that's fair, though. Too.
0: But just, just yeah, sort of reflexively.
1: So this is going to be kind of a strange answer, probably. But I always find people who have like transitioned their careers, um, throughout their, who've had like, who've, I guess who've been flexible in their careers and who have transitioned. No, this this answer is not coming out. Right. Okay, here we go. I'm going to use an example. I do
0: that all the time. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I
0: was trying to record like a 22nd, Intro for this little audiobook yesterday, and yeah. it probably took me 47 takes.
1: Right. So, are <laughs> all like, well, blah, 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 blah,
0: blah.
1: Um, so the example. Yeah. So, I'm going to give you an example of a person who I find successful, and then I'll explain why. Perfect. Um, Triple H. Triple H. So, I am a huge wrestling fan, huge professional wrestling fan. Um, and, uh, the re- reason why I'm going to use it, and I could use, I could use a number of people as this mm-hmm. example, but the reason that I'm going to use this is because I find people who have had like one who, so he had a very successful wrestling career, but then transitioned into the business aspect of it. You find so many people on it. This is interesting being in, in, I guess you could technically call me kind of a professional athlete. Um, you see a lot of people who I find are very kind of short sighted in that, in that they're like, well, I, you know, I'm racing now and they, but they don't think about what happens when they can no longer do that. So people who have been able to have a very successful athletic career and then transition to the business side of things or to think far ahead, you know? Um, and so those are the people that I look to that I'm like, you know, they have, they have everything. They have the athletic side of it, but then they also have the business acumen and are smart enough to know that their body isn't going to Loss always forever. be there for them, you yeah. know,
0: Oscar um, De La Hoya, a good example too, with golden mm-hmm. boy productions,
1: right? Very yeah. savvy. I mean, if we want to keep going professional wrestling, you know, it's like the rock, you know, like things are yeah. transitioned to being an actor. <laughs> He's done. Know? All right. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> triple H is a great example though. Uh, Paul Levesque, yeah. really smart guy. Yeah. I, I had him on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, listen to it. Again. Oh, it just blew my mind. Really, yeah. really, really
1: savvy guy. Right. Right.
0: Uh, Okay, so Triple H, I <laughs> I agree. I, I also view him... He works out at, I think, midnight every day with Joe DeFranco, like, after his entire... Right. He is very... He, okay, so we're like we, the opposite. You guys and, have... Right. You have, you, have the op- you have the opposite schedules.
1: <laughs> but uh, he's also a big fan of routine, and which I know, and I've heard him talk about, too. And, and that's how I get by. And, like, I don't care where I am in life. If I'm traveling, if I'm on the road for work, like... I'm going to create a routine there and stick with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so
0: that's how you survive. What is something that you believe that other people think is insane? Or any controversial beliefs that you have?
1: Interesting.
0: And if nothing jumps to mind, we can also
1: come back to that. Right. Um, hmm. Yeah, I may mean, need to come back to that one.
0: Okay, we'll come back to that. What book or books have you gifted most to other people?
1: Um, I'm going to butcher this author's name because I always do. Um, House of Leaves by Mark House of leaves. Um, Mark Daniel Daniel mm-hmm. Um. So, and the reason that I say this, and that I, um, and that I would gift this, is that so so many people now read on like Kindles or technology or things like that. This is a book that you have to hold because there are parts of it where you need to turn it upside down to read it. And I forget the style of what it's called, the style of writing. Um, there's actual like genre for it, but like there are certain pages where you are reading it and it turns in a circle. So it's in like an entire, I think that Reading a book and you know, ha- holding the physical book and turning the pages is such a lost art, you know. And so, there's something, but this is a book that's like an entire sensory experience. It's a fantastic story, it's brilliant, it's kind of like a story within a story, but then it requires you as a reader to be like active and involved, you know. And I think that's just so cool because you don't see stuff like that anymore and especially now when people read things on you know their iPads or their Kindles or whatever um and kind of like holding a book is something that we no longer do so
0: house of leaves very yeah. cool do you have any favorite documentaries or movies
1: uh my all time favorite movie is the goonies
0: the goonies
1: I mean, it's a quality film. It's a quality. You, it's not, it's not, it's not going to like, it's not life changing, but you know, it's a, do you,
0: any favorite character from the Goonies?
1: Um, data, data, data is great. Pinterest <laughs> <of> Power. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I grew up in Oregon. You just had to like, that was, that was my jam, you know, <laughs> the Goonies. we didn't have much to claim being from Oregon, yeah. but we could claim that movie. <laughs>
0: what is the uh, purchase that is most uh, for less than a hundred dollars purchase of less than a hundred dollars that is most uh, positively impacted your life in recent memory?
1: Um, <laughs> this is a really funny answer. So Manuka honey bandages huh. and, uh, the, so I get banged up a lot um, <laughs> racing.
0: Yeah, I've seen yeah, there's, I mean, some of the photos that you sent me. So before right. we do these interviews, you know, I ask for a short bio, some photos that might be uh, usable. And I'm <laughs> looking at one of them. You're climbing up this ramp, and you're just covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you get banged uh, up.
1: So um, this past summer, I actually... There's this one obstacle called Tyrolean Traverse where you basically. What is it called? Tyrolean Traverse.
0: Tyrolean.
1: Yeah. So it's like you've seen, like the military guys, they like it's a rope thing. You you either go under it and yeah. it's just a rope traverse. Yeah. Um, but you can also go on top of it. It saves your grip. Um, and I decided one day, one race to go on top of it, saving my grip. And I was wearing just a sports bra and massive rope burn all down the front of my. <laughs> and like the worst pain it was like a second degree burn. And I discovered um, that the only thing that would take away the sting were these, like, honey bandages. And there was only, CVS was the only place that sold them. CVS has
0: Manuka honey, honey bandages?
1: bandages. <laughs> and the only place, or I could find them online, too. And, uh, I swear it is the only thing that got me through like the next few weeks in like no pain, but now I use them all the time for all of like my scrapes and it's, they're great. Like antibacterial and blah, blah, blah. I mean, with the number that I bought, I'm sure it's over. I've spent way more than a hundred dollars on them, but
0: the new honey bandages, cool. Uh, now I usually ask about morning routines. We already covered quite a bit of that. What other routines or habits do you find important? in your day or week?
1: Um, i It's very easy for me to, or I think it's very easy for a lot of people to get disconnected from, you know, people around, especially now in our, like, social media type of world is that, like, you, you know, like something on Instagram or, you know, favorite something on Twitter or whatever, I, whatever the things are that you do. Um, so it's very important for me to, like, I always set a time every single week and I call my parents like at the Mm. same time. And I call my sister and, um, to try and make those, those, um, you know, personal connections and stuff like that, because it can be so impersonal now with everything that we have, you know, technology that you can be like friends with people that you've never met in real life. So I always try like for me, that routine, like every Sunday at the same time, calling the parents, you know, just kind of like keeping me grounded, things like that.
0: Do you have any wind down routine? What does the hour before bed look like?
1: Uh, So I generally, um, (laughs)
0: can't wait to hear this
1: no i was just like i was just trying to think of like if i actually had because generally i'll be um you know watching monday night raw um or some other (laughs) professional wrestling. i don't watch a lot of tv but it's either sports or professional wrestling when i do (laughs)
0: um
1: you know i i am generally one of those people that's like so tired by the time it's time to go to bed i don't really need a routine don't have any it's just necessity it's like all right, it's time to go to bed. Done. Out
0: out cold. Got it. Uh, If you could have a billboard anywhere, what would it say? You can put anything on it.
1: Um, I think I would say, um, I I think it would be something along the lines of... um, no one owes you anything. Mm. And I think that this has been something that lately I feel like there's such a level of entitlement now in people like that, that, Oh, I, I deserve this or I blah, 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 this. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm like, it's hard work. You know, the people that I find the most successful the people that I think one thing that I've always prided myself on is that like, I've worked really goddamn hard for everything that, you know, that I've gotten or that I've done in my life. And you can't expect handouts from people, you know, the, at the end of the day, all that you can, that you can count on really is yourself. And so like, I don't expect people to give me anything. So, and I really wish like, you know, so you see people now, like, I don't know the level of entitlement that people think that they deserve a handout or deserve, help. Sometimes, sometimes I'm like, no, make it yourself, make your own opportunities. You know?
0: Yeah. That's very pronounced here in Silicon Valley too. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I know you just had a great idea when you went to the bathroom, but it's not worth $50 million yet. I'm sorry. Exactly. Uh, so this, this is, this is not one of my normal rapid fire questions and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of grief for this (laughs) from my fans, but I have to ask because, uh, I, I know a lot of, uh, very successful women CEOs and so on. Uh, so 2012 second place overall. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could, you could have potentially, I mean, it's well within the realm of yep. possibility. You could have won the whole thing. Do you find it hard to date? Is it, I mean, is it I, because I'm imagining if I yeah. put myself in your shoes, mm-hmm. it must be, and you're and you're extremely successful in your career. Is it hard for you to find someone you respect enough to date? Because I mean, in the, like the mental, physical, emotional toughness,
1: I don't spheres. Th- he, so I don't think that it's so much me. I, here's the thing. I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that's how it always starts. It's not me. It's <laughs> him.
1: Uh, no, I honestly, I so I tend to be attracted to people that are almost like. I don't want to say the exact opposite than me because then that sounds like I'm attracted to people who like aren't successful. (laughs) But what I found is that I need somebody who's very complimentary to me in terms of like very kind of, I admire people that are super laid back and go with the flow and very adaptable and just, you know, everything that I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I think that like, for me it's not so hard to find people like that. I think uh, though, you know, sometimes you do get, you'll hear, you know, it takes a certain type of guy who can be secure with, with being with, you know, a woman who, you know, beats 99% of the dudes at like a sport or whatever. Sure. Um, and that feels weird to say, cause that feels like I'm like being like, look at me. I'm such a badass. No, 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 facts are the facts. But, um, you know, it's, I think that it takes actually a guy who's very, um, secure in his own right. You know, you can't, I can't like date somebody who's like, who's not, um, you know, secure in who he is because Mm -hmm. then that would just be disastrous.
0: (laughs) doesn't sound like it would get very far. What, what advice would you give your 25 year old self and place, place us, 20 and 25. I'd be interested to get it for both ages. So right. w- where were you, what you were doing at 20 and then 25.
1: So 20, I was in finishing up college. Um, probably just getting ready to apply to law school. Super, you know, like hardcore driven going to be partner in a law firm one day, you know, like all those things. Um, I think at that time I would tell myself to relax. Um, and, uh, you know, that you can't predict where life is going to take you. Mm-hmm. Um, and because now looking, at, am like, would I ever expect that? I'd be like the world's top obstacle racer. We didn't even know what the fuck obstacle. It wasn't even around at that wasn't time. It wasn't you know? even a thing. It yeah. <laughs> wasn't even a thing. Um, and, uh, so, and I think at 25, I was finishing up law school and I was starting my career as an attorney. um, so it would probably be similar, but I think what I would tell, I'm actually going to give you, I what I would tell my 28 year old self, which is Perfect. when I started all of this obstacle racing stuff and I would tell myself, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. No, okay. Uh, that sounds bad, but like, don't take it so seriously. Um, you know, and at the end the of the racing itself, the racing itself. Because when you reach, it started out as totally fun and then you reach a certain level of success and everyone, then it becomes this pressure and everything like that. And I think that it's not all of the stress and the pressure and everything that I would put on myself from it. It's, it's not worth it. It doesn't change the outcome. I'm either, you know, ready or I'm not to like, you know, beat somebody. Um, So at the end of the day, kind of keep it all in perspective. And um, like it's kind of hilarious. I'm running around in the mud, being shocked by electrical things, like running around for 24 hours in a wetsuit, like just keep that in perspective, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's kind of ludicrous what I'm doing, you know? So have fun with it, mm-hmm. you know? Cause there's so much time that I think that I've wasted not like putting so much pressure on myself and not having fun. And now I've kind of like come full circle. I'm like, ah, oh, it's just fun, you know?
0: Who would you, uh, who is someone or who are people you would like to meet someday? If are?
1: God, see that list is like massive, you know? Yeah,
0: who's, who's, who's up at the top of the list?
1: Uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, <laughs> Ronda Rousey. I like to meet strong. I have an entire list, like strong females who are at like the top of what they do. Um, She's
0: on my list too.
1: Right. Um, but then I, that also extends to, you know, just uh, other things that are like not athletically inclined, you know? So you see like Sheryl Sandberg and like the, the females that have made names for themselves and, you know, as top executives and things like that. Um, so, i I'm not like raw raw girl power type of person, but you know finding other women like that and seeing what makes them tick and seeing how they survive is is uh always really interesting for me
0: What if any asks or requests do you have for the audience and this is the this is the last question Ask any requests yeah anything you'd like them to do <laughs> or think about or consider. Or all the above.
1: Right. You know, I think um, one of the things that I've learned is like, and what I would tell people is like, be open to experiences, you know? And um, especially with, they're probably like sitting, oh, people, if they're sitting here listening to this, they're either already into obstacle course racing and are like, man, this shit's bananas. It's great, you know? So I don't need to convince them of anything or if they've happened upon this and they're like, we don't understand what this chick is doing actually. Um, Like, I don't know. I would say go out there and like, you know, try something new. Um, and you know, so if that's if you want to go out and run obstacle course, like great. Um, but I wouldn't be where I am today without, you know, just like saying sure and trying something and, and seeing where that leads me. So I think that's always kind of important to keep in mind
0: try something new. Yeah. It's good advice.
1: Not? I'm not do sure something if I'm asking them to do something there. But. No, no, no.
0: I think it's good good advice. I mean, do something just for the fuck of it, I think is kind of
1: <laughs> right.
0: Coming back to your don't take it so seriously, like not everything has to figure into your 5-year
1: Right. And I think that's hard because for me, it's like, I've always been that like super planner five year person. So it's something that I actually have to remind myself is like, try something new, Amelia, like just do it. Yeah. Why not do it?
0: That was, that was one of my, I'm not going to call it a resolution. So it wasn't a new year's resolution, but went, I've done, did a lot of unusual experiments last year, <laughs> uh, that we won't get into right now. But one of the, one of the realizations was be playful. Like you don't yeah. have to be so goddamn serious about things all the time. Right. I mean, it's like do something that doesn't have an explicit point or an angle right. or whatever it might be.
1: Well, I, somebody told me the other day, um, that, the only thing at the end of the day, the only thing we have is time. If you really cut through all the bullshit out there. And like, this is funny when you ask me about like, who do you think is successful? Um, and like seriously, I think the most successful people who are out there are people that are happy that are just like, they may not have it all. They may be dirt poor. They may not be educated. They may whatever. But if they can art everyday life, smiling and just generally happy, like when, if you break it all down. All we have is time. So why spend it being miserable? So like go do something that makes you happy and like, and have fun with it. Cause you're not taking it with you when you go. Yeah,
0: it's your, your, your most valuable non-renewable resource.
1: Exactly. As
0: far as we know, <laughs> so, oh, well, making... <laughs> right. you know,
1: when the, my time finally comes and I realize that there's like a super cool world on the other side, I'm going to be like, God damn it. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> well, Amelia, thanks so much for taking the time. And Thank where, you. where can people say hello, find you on the interwebs and so on? Uh,
1: on my grossly needs updating website, Amelia Boone com. Um, but I actually am most in active on, um, Twitter. Uh, it's just the handles Amelia Boone. Um, Boone, with, tw- an e. what?
0: Boone with an E at the end, Amelia Boone, B O O N E.
1: Correct. Um, but you've, Fair forewarned. I tweet a fair amount about the Seahawks and professional wrestling. So if you're not into that, you probably don't want to follow me. Um, <laughs> and uh, then I'm on Instagram as well. It's uh, a R Boone 11 because Amelia Boone was already taken by the time I joined that arboon A R Boone 11. Correct. Um, and I'm on Facebook. Um, I don't have an athlete page because I don't really like that or believe in that, but You can follow me. But I don't really become friends with people I haven't met before in life because that weirds me out. So Twitter. So Twitter and Instagram are your best bets. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, this has been a blast. Yeah, Everybody listening, we will uh, link to the books and so on, the Manuka honey bandages <laughs> and whatnot, everything mentioned in the show notes. You can just go to 4hourworkweek.com, all spelled out, forward slash podcast, and that will have all episodes, including this one. And I'll create just a short uh, short link you can go to, or it's not a short link, but a URL. You can go to 4hourworkweek.com forward slash Amelia that will go straight to this episode and Amelia once again thank you so much thank for taking you. the time Appreciate it. and uh, I would say let's go for a run sometime but I have some training to do before I'm prepared <laughs> for that and to everybody listening as always thank you so much for sticking around and we'll see you soon hey guys this is Tim again just a few more things before you take off number one this is five bullet friday